What does it take to be named a top workplace by your employees? A culture that fosters creative and innovative thinking. Viking Masek was awarded the 2021 Top Workplace Honor by the Journal Sentinel. Tell me yeah. how that came about and what made it happen. Oh, well, that's a great question. That's something I'm really proud of. You know, we when you walk into a business, you can feel you can feel the energy. Either yep. it's positive or it's negative. There's no yep. in between. Right? That's you true. You can feel it. It either gives you life or it sucks the life right out of you. Right. So after you know doing this for many years, what we realized is that you know you have to put the right people in the right seat, but they also have to fit your culture. Right. So if you have the right, um, the right values, the right morals, and you're an or not opportunist, you're an optimistic person, then you then you're somebody that can fit in here. Given if you have the right uh, skill sets, right. So we've we've been fortunate, and with respect to that, kind of creating a really creative culture with really great people. So. If we're an 80-piece puzzle, mm -hmm. the puzzle goes together like the box shows. Gotcha. And as a result, um, everything just clicks. Okay. You know, we've, we've got great people. We've got a good energy. And we're, uh, we just keep breaking records each year. So it's, it's, it's something I'm really proud of. And it, it's, uh, it, it means a lot to me that we've got such good people. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Join us for a tour of Viking Masic, one of Wisconsin's largest global packing manufacturers. So, our industry is very diverse. Um, we do everything from uh, any, any types of food that go into a pouch. Okay. To, to coffee, to cheese, candy. Um, it's, it's just a very broad base of, of products. So, okay. with that, the beauty of that is that it's really recession proof. Because people may change their eating habits, but they have to eat. Right. So even with like COVID, that presented opportunities too for us as we did a lot of COVID test kits. Okay. Uh, a lot of hand, a lot of sanitizer, hand sanitizer, things like that. So it just continues to expand. And what, what companies want now from us is more broad-based, where we're doing everything with the, with the integration, complete lines with robotics, things like that. So okay. it just continues to get more and more, and more complicated. So with that, then we bring in more and more engineers, more tech, technical people. Founded as Leonard Packaging Solutions back in 2002 by brothers Rick and Rob Leonard, Viking Mesa Global Packaging Technologies was created in 2010 with a worldwide presence. And you build the, the machines that actually do the, the automated pouches, yeah, so, is that correct? Yeah, so yep. we complete lines set up. We don't do any packaging here, but all the lines get set up here Okay. for checkout. Just a test to make sure that whatever we're putting in the field is working production ready. So it looks like a fair amount of what you, I mean, this looks like a pretty customized product. Yeah. It's not just make four models and ship them out the door. Yeah, right. a lot of customization. Okay. Welcome to season three of the Right Idea podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, volunteer president and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. In this season, we're highlighting the creativity and the work ethic behind the businesses that make Wisconsin's economy go round. Today, we're talking to Rick Leonard, president and co-owner of Viking Masic, a leader in the packaging machinery industry and located in Oostburg, Wisconsin. Join us as we dive into the creative force behind Viking Masic and the challenges that businesses face when the government throws up hurdles to success. This 
is the Right Idea Podcast. So here we are today with the Right Idea Podcast in Oostburg, and we are at Viking Masic with Rick Leonard. Rick, thanks so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us out. Well, thanks for asking. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank Good you. Deal. Well, so as we kick off this season of uh, the Right Idea Podcast, we're talking to businesses all around the state of Wisconsin, and we're going to talk about just the, the formation of the business. We're going to talk about challenges that you're facing today, about what can be done to make an even better business environment going forward in our state and our country. But I'd love it if you could start by just kind of talking about the inspiration for starting the business and what brought you to this point, and we can go from there. Sure. I'm happy to do that. I've been in the packaging business for about 30 years. About 15 years ago, I realized that there was a lack of creativity um, in terms of what machinery was being offered and the direction that packaging was going. So about 15 years ago, we started Viking with with a core core group of people. It was with uh, uh, my brother, Bob, my brother-in-law, Scott, who was an an engineer, and then a great friend of mine who uh, had an accounting background and was a uh, financial planner. So we needed those those cornerstones to start the business. Know the market, design it, build it, and then keep track of the books. That was a pretty good, I was going to say. Exactly. (laughs) Cover your bases. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Prior to, but you'd work in the packaging industry before that? Yeah. I I got into it actually by chance. Okay. Um, I was living in... uh, I was living in Indiana, and my wife was living, or my wife to be was living in Chicago. Okay. And we decided that we wanted to move back to uh, Wisconsin to the Sheboygan area because that's where we both grew up. So I was hired by a company called Hasten or Heisen, depending on where you're from, <laughs> and uh, they hired me in sales, uh, and I stayed there until they moved to uh, South Carolina. Okay. And I, I just stayed here and went out on my own. Gotcha. Cool. Is it? I know a lot of times there's you know little many economic clusters or is there one around packaging in the greater Sheboygan Newsburg type area or no well, just coincidence yes, the this is a very industrialized area mm-hmm. with in terms of um, the amount of if you, if you look at this the big area for food production so with food production you need packaging right it just goes hand in hand right but you also need machine shops you need engineering so this this is a great area to locate in terms of finding the right skill sets for of people to work but then also just for product need, like right? What, what we do, it's 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 just a great place to be. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You've got the food production, and then you've also got the engineering and the manufacturing exactly. base and everything. Yeah. Well, if you look right in our backyard, Masters Gallery. Yeah, they use our equipment to package cheese, so it's just a, it's just a great. It works really well. It works really well. That's good. A lot of um, you know people talk about the, obviously the culling of American manufacturing over the past half century and how it's been hit hard, and certainly there's less. Um, less pure jobs available in our state and across the country in manufacturing. But I have found, and I'm interested in how you think about this in your own industry, that the manufacturing that has come to this point and is still thriving is mm-hmm. because it's specialized, it's hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, to your point, there's expertise involved in the industry that have allowed it to continue to, to, to flourish in the United States. Is that how you see packaging? Or tell me about that. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty accurate, but in addition, you never want to treat your product like a commodity. Mm-hmm. Like this cup, for example, it's a commodity, right? But mm-hmm. I don't want to be in the commodity business. I want to be in a systems solutions business. Right. So we don't go out and just sell a packaging machine. We'll sell a whole line. Okay. And we'll integrate that line so that that line talks to each other. So there's communication involved. There's, there's, there's uh, intelligence in that line so that when it goes in, it's not just multiple pieces of equipment 
in a room hoping that, that they can communicate. Right. It, you know, somebody has to be able to tie all that, all those pieces of equipment together to provide a functional packaging solution. Got That's it. what we do. And that, as we, we just did the tour, tour now, that brings me to some other questions I was going to ask you. So you are selling, your machines are very customized, from what yeah. I just saw, very tailored. And to your point, kind of seem to fit into a system Correct. that can be very much tailored to the need of the customer. Talk to us about that and how well, that works. Sure. Well, the first, the first thing you have to identify is what the need is. What is the customer looking for? Mm -hmm. If the customer is just looking for a packaging machine to fill a slot, we can do that. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem. But if a customer is coming to us with a particular problem and identifies the amount of floor space that they have, mm -hmm. what kind of output they're looking for and what they're looking for, do they want it to go into a box? Do they want it to get palletized? What do they want? So once we identify that, then we can come up with a, a well-engineered solution and work with that customer to make sure it fits in that space that they have yeah. and that the eventual execution matches the expectation that the customer has. Gotcha. And that gets to your point on on designing solutions in, in the sense that a customer can literally say, we have an end product, we know we want it packaged, we know we want it either palletized or in a box or something like it. Right. Here's the space we have to work with, like, what do we do from here? And yeah. then you can quote that out and well, say, here's that, our... That's exactly it. Right. So, and, if, and if you look now to the... The, the environment that's been created right now is that businesses are competing with the government. The government is incentivizing people to stay home and not work. Right? I want to talk more about that, but yeah. yes, right. Yeah. So with that, you know, you're never going to beat government. Government can just keep printing mm -hmm. money, which they are very good at right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> and they just keep printing more and incentivizing right. people to stay home. But what they don't really understand is what you're saying, which is you're going to price out labor and cause automation. Well, and you're already seeing it with inflation. Right. You know, if you look, if you were to build a house right now, the cost of those materials, it's, it's, you can't even get a price on a day-to-day -day basis because those materials just keep going up and Absolutely. up. Absolutely. So if you arbitrarily say, well, okay, we're going to make the, we're going to make minimum wage $20 an hour, that's fine. You can do that, I guess. You just print more money and inflation just gets out of control. Right. So, and that's why you're seeing all these cryptocurrencies evolve. You're mm -hmm. seeing the, the U.S. dollar will eventually take a hit because of this, because we're just printing the money. Right. But, you know, getting back to how it relates to what we do, it just opens up opportunities. Right. So it, it's, it's been really good for our business because we've been able to stay ahead of that and get, and get in with the right technologies that replace the people that are being incentivized to stay home. Well, it's, I think it's a, a good lesson to speak about so that I think the American public needs to be educated on this. Like there are, businesses are going to have to make cost-benefit analyses. They're going to have to make decisions. Right. Automation is one of those decisions. And, you know, the next time somebody from the extreme left comes up and tells you that all they have to do is wave a wand and that suddenly you're going to get an hourly wage, the reality is, to your point, the government benefit's going to be swamped eventually by inflation. And right. meanwhile, you're seeing private sector jobs being dispersed in different ways because of the fact that labor's not available. Yeah. So it's a yeah. It is a real issue, but but to your point, you're filling a gap in the market. If people can't get yeah. people to show up to work, you need to you need to find a way to solve that. Yeah, so just, just driving forward. in here we're surrounded by signs that wanna hire. Right. You know, and if you're competing for that, you know, we're fortunate in that we don't really participate in that section. Okay. Our our wages are much higher. And the, and the people that we attract here, you know, you 
are, are skill, it's skilled labor. Mm-hmm. Whether you're out on the floor working on machinery or you're a, a traveling technician where you're installing the equipment or you're an engineer of either electrical or mechanical. So we kind of, we, we exist in a different stratosphere than, than what our neighbors are competing for, which is good, which is good for us. And you do, um, you, as you took us on the tour, you talked about this. So you're doing uh, sales, you're quoting, out sa- you're quoting out projects, you're doing engineering design here. Um, talk about just kind of the full complement of what the production is here. Sure, so it, it really depends on the scope of the project. It can be as simple as, as I said before, filling a slot. If there's a, if a customer just needs a packaging machine, we can do that. That's fine. Right. But where we really shine is when a customer has a clearly identified need, but has no idea how to get that project executed. Okay. So with the with the skill sets that we have here in in engineering, we can we can identify that. An approach that works right review that with the customer and then eventually quote that project review it again make sure nothing's missing and then once that once we take that order then we'll set it all up here for a factory acceptance test set the machine up set the line up run the line and then hopefully everything goes well and then we install and train their people on how to run it gotcha and you do the programming and the all the software we, work as well we do that all here yeah. okay yeah gotcha and did you say at one point Alan Bradley used yeah, Alan Bradley Yeah, that, that's the primary platform used okay. in the United States. In Europe, they prefer Siemens. Yep. So we, we really operate with two different platforms. But okay. 98% of what we do here is uh, Alan Bradley. Okay, gotcha. And um, for those, and we'll include um, like shots of the actual machinery in uh, sure. when we put out the podcast, but these are very tailored uh, machines. I mean, it's very clear to me that like you are you're taking to your point like what the customer ultimately wants, and you're reverse engineering into the system that can do that. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. And I could actually share some videos with you. If that okay, yeah, that'd be great. Point because that'd be great. We have some professional videos that better explain the whole process um, because it's it's much easier to watch a video than it is to just right. Look, yeah, exactly. Look, right. look at look at packaging <laughs> machines. But for example, some of the lines we've done, we did like Dots pretzel, for example. Okay. Complete line for small bags of pretzels and then large pre- large bags of pretzels. We've done apple dippers for McDonald's. Okay. For the, for yep. The, for the uh, like the clear plastic bags that yeah, they the come in. Bags and, right. Apples. We, years back, we sold thirty lines to do high speed bagging of apples. Apple okay. slices for kids meals. We do. Um, a wide variety of different coffees. It's just so diverse as far as what we're what we're all capable of doing. But there's really nothing that we can't do if it goes into a bag. Right. Well, and that's it. And so as you walk into the lobby here, you see all the different uh, bags and pouches that you work with. No, I shouldn't say all, but you see it like ranging from it looked like Chick Fil A to. Right. I'm gonna get the other brands wrong. I just remember Chick Fil A because Daryl was very excited about yeah. that. But. Yeah. Um, but it really does. It looks like it's it's very and it's everything from I think you said one of the machines it's like 250 bags a minute or yeah, something to that exactly. Extent. So one of our customers is a uh, co-packer, and what a co-packer does is they don't really bag anything. They don't really package anything under their own name. Okay. Their own label. Um, what they do is they package for other people. So this particular co-packer packages for a, a large salad a salad company out of California. Okay. So little bag, little bags of bacon bits, little bags of cheese, croutons, any any complement that you would add to a, a salad. So the croutons, which I can actually give you the video, we're running at 240 bags a minute on little small bags of uh, croutons. Okay. That go on top this on top the salad. 
Gotcha. And that ranges all the way to much more, it looks like larger product and much larger yeah, pouches and bags. Uh, on the opposite end of that, we do 50 pound bags of hops for the brewing industry. So gotcha. Anything in between. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. But that does mean that you keep your engineers moving because it's not just yeah. like rinse, repeat, and rinse, no, repeat. It's, it's and quite that, a bit more. The, and, that's, and that's part of what, what keeps the environment uh, healthy because it's a creative environment right. versus doing the same thing every day, which for these guys. These right. guys are all very creative people. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, there's all sorts of different looking cars in that, right, but the platform's pretty much the same. What I, That's what I really struck me as you walked around your shop is that just the platforms look very different. Like, mm -hmm. the, these are very physically different shaped machines that are sure. doing very different things. And exactly. Different if you, solutions. If you, if you look at just the, 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 the variety of different machines, there's stick pack machines, which mm -hmm. do the small bags, with, which would have the... Uh, Either the sugar or the sugar. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the artificial sugars. Oh yeah, right. Um, artificial sweetener. Yeah, the right. drink mixes. Yep. Um, anything that goes into a small pouch like that. Um, and then there's the larger machines which do the actual pouches. Okay. So that can be anywhere from a little pouch of croutons, as I mentioned, to the 50-pound bag of hops. Right. That's anything, pretty amazing. Anything in between. Right. Hey, you talk, you've already talked a bit about the effects of COVID. Every business that we're talking to now, we're talking about like the effect of COVID just simply because it has been so significant. And it's obviously wide-ranging. We talked to restauranteurs who have seen their business like handicapped over the past year. We've seen other businesses that have seen bizarre spikes in demand that they never really anticipated. Sure. And other, like we talked to a distillery, a Central Standard distillery that saw their market reshaped in so many ways because they're not selling to um, B2B, but right. they are selling direct to home. Right. So. And you've already talked about the fact that you've got customers that are coming to you for automation because they can't get the labor they need. What are some of the other impacts you're seeing in terms of like how you've had to adapt or the effect on your industry? Well, that's a great question. So with the when COVID hit, as you as you mentioned, it pretty much killed the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. um, restaurants, if you weren't well capitalized, you were gone. Yeah. So. What happened was a lot of that business moved to uh, home delivery, right, or Amazon type of thing. You know, Amazon type, or uh, the, the the products just get shipped home. You have right. your home meal kits like your uh, your uh, Hello Fresh things like that. Yeah, where that all just kept going and expanding and blowing up. Um, then on top of that, we also did a lot in COVID related products. Whether that was hand sanitizer, okay. um, whether that was a um, COVID test kits, we had one one pharmaceutical company that ordered ordered eight machines from us for COVID test kits. Okay, and those are very expensive machines, and a lot think. of uh, with a lot of engineering involved in them. But that was again as a result of COVID. Right. So there were opportunities that happened, and in what I what I found with with COVID, it was either feast or famine. Either mm -hmm. you were killing it, or you were getting killed. Right, that's it. I mean, in the podcast this season has really kind of highlighted that, and we haven't urged anybody to to share a con specific conclusion. We just simply asked the question, "What is the effect, man?" And just mm -hmm. like you said, it is feast or famine, right. and it's it's so irregular. Some of this is the result of a public health issue, which was very real. And some is a result of just very poorly thought out policy solutions that literally wiped industries out and yeah. overnight transformed others. Yeah, it was, 
it was again government at its best. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, you were smiling when you said. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's it. That's kind of getting to the next question I was going to ask. Is you think? I mean, it doesn't have to just be relative to COVID, but. You look at the regulatory landscape that you have to deal with in your industry, or even that your customers do that you're aware of. How, how do you think about some of the challenges that you find to be particularly ridiculous that you're dealing with or problematic, whatever the case might be, state, federal, whatever? Like, What are some well, of those challenges? Yeah, that's another good question. So depending on where we're shipping, what states we're working with, there's a lot of absurdity involved with government. <laughs> California is particularly crazy. Yeah, I would love to hear. What, yeah. what are they up to? Well, <laughs> I think they're still shut down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Each state, um, you know, I think if, in, in, if you look at each state, there are certain states that are, are actually running very well. You know, Florida, for example. Sure. DeSantis, he did a great job of just saying, you know what, we're going to get back to business mm -hmm. and, and run this right. California, which has always been a bit crazy, <laughs> has, you know, under Newsom and, and New York, um, they've managed to wreck what should be very prosperous states. Right. Where, you know, and, and so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's challenging dealing with all these all these different rules that each state has right and we don't get affected by it too too hard in terms of um, of what we need to do to the machinery mm -hmm. it's usually safety related which is fine but each state has their own regulations and we can we can work within those parameters but for those businesses that operate in those states right your customers yeah so for example a lot of our customers now have just moved to Reno that we're in California. That we're in California. Why deal with it? Just move. You don't have to deal with it. Right. Or Illinois, for example. Mm -hmm. Illinois is probably the worst run state. Very. Mm -hmm. You just look at their books, right? It's, California's it's, not far behind, but yeah, the... Illinois is, under Pritzker, is a joke. Right. You know? So, and it always has been. Right. So The debt, yes, no. I mean, as people are making rational... Uh, individual residents are making a, a rational decisions based on tax burdens, based yeah. on like future tax revenue burdens that these right. states are clearly going to face. But yeah. making the other case, which is employers are voting with their feet too. And right. you'd like to think when you see things like that happening, you'd see like an honest reporting of it with yes. people asking questions, but there's not. Yeah, to your point. Yeah. Um, instead, everybody pretends. Well, everybody, everybody in that mainstream media loves to pretend things are just fine in California, yeah. but they're not. There's people leaving. They're going to lose congressional seats this time, but yeah. they're also losing is. jobs. Exactly, your customers that are right. going to Nevada, and, and and they just move, and it's it's unfortunate for for example, if you take Illinois for example, mm -hmm. it, you don't want to be the last man standing in Illinois. No, you got a big bill due. <laughs> you got unfunded pensions, you know, right? And, and why should states that have been responsible fund that? It's not it's not right. No, agreed. And then that's, I think, going to be one of these huge issues coming forward when uh, the states, and you saw a bit of this in COVID, yeah. right, when, in terms of the disbursements yeah. from the federal government. Right. But, yeah, you know, one of the funny things about Illinois is not only do they owe a massive amount of money on their pensions, but they also have a constitutional guarantee that they will be paid. So, in other words, in order to actually, constitutional guarantee that the benefits cannot be reduced, meaning the public sector unions have forced that on the yeah. policymakers there to say, Whatever you do, the only thing you can do is make them greater than what they are now. Yeah, right. Which means they have to basically have a constitutional amendment to get their books right side up. 
Yeah, and if you're you're a manufacturer or a producer or anybody uh, living yeah. in Illinois, you got to look at that and say that's not going to end well right. in one way, shape, or form. Exactly. So it can't. no, it can't over the long term. Right. So as you think about, I want to ask the question on that kind of like that shift that occurs over COVID and. Um, to your point, the what happens with the restaurant industry, so your sales aren't going to, it's got to just kind of reformulate where the demand is. Is that sure. fair to say? And all yeah. of a sudden you're... so it just shifts. Okay. People still eat. Right. They maybe don't go to a restaurant. Right. They go to the grocery store and they bring food home. So the demand just shifts. So maybe instead of going out to dinner, you go you go to the restaurant and you buy big bags of snacks. Right. Or you bring you buy you buy the ingredients you need to prepare a meal at home, or you go to a Hello Fresh or something like that, and, right. you, and you have it delivered. But you know, people, you know, uh, we're able to adjust. You know, and right. You, you adjust to a changing environment. So. So as you see that, what I'm trying to understand is it because your customer initially was not necessarily the restaurant; it is the suppliers to the restaurant. Exactly. Is that right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then as they are then shifting maybe to selling through Amazon, is it that same customer that is shifting? Or is it a new customer base that suddenly pops up that like ships similar products to an Amazon type? Well, it could be a combination resident. of both. Okay. So what, uh, if you use the, like the Dots pretzel example, you know, Dots pretzels didn't exist a couple years ago, okay. five years ago. Now it's, it's a huge pretzel brand, right? Right. But... COVID actually provided opportunities for Dots pretzels in that people are sitting at home snacking. Yep. So what are they going to buy? Buy pretzels. Right. Exactly. So that's, right. It, it it just moves. Shifts. Shifts. Right. Exactly. Right. As you think about, um, we talked a bit about um, the labor market and the labor demand that you have here. So it sounds like through. What's happening now with, with people literally being paid not to work and the problems that that's causing all across the state and country, you're not as affected by that just because of the tier at which you're hiring. Right. Is that fair? The question I was going to ask is when you look at our state's educational system, because No Better Friend does a lot of work around educational reform. Mm -hmm. We're big advocates of school choice, and part, not as the only solution, but as a big important one to get kids in functioning schools ASAP because they don't have time to lose. But as you look at whether we're talking K through 12 or we're talking about the university system, do you see the Wisconsin educational system turning out the kind of graduates that you're looking for in terms of filling your needs? Well, really, it, it, I guess the first thing, it depends on what major you're going for. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is if, if, if you're going for a, a, a major that's in demand, for example, let's say you pick electrical engineering, mm -hmm. state does well with that. Um, but also, um, your, uh, your, your two-year schools, your, your, your LTCs, right. they do a good job. Um, so, again, it goes back to the choice of the major that you're, that you're taking. But there are good engineering schools here, whether that's an MSOE right. or a Platteville. Um, there, there are good schools that you can go to for an engineering degree where you're going to get picked up right away. But if you, if you come out of school with a piece of paper and a, mm -hmm. you know, in a degree that really doesn't make you that employable well now you just right have a piece of paper right yeah it's it's another thing that um well it requires much more critical thought where we're encouraging students to go to take on mass amounts of debt to align to a career which may or not may may or may not actually be there when they graduate 
Um, and then now too, right, incentivizing people to just not work in the first place. It's the whole yeah, thing's kind of crazy. I, I agreed, and I think the the schooling, you know, on a larger point, your four-year degrees could be so much more beneficial if you just allowed them to focus, almost like what a two-year program does. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so many classes that you have to take that really don't benefit you. Yes. So if you if you you know, it brings a lot of money in for the school. Right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But it really does nothing for the student or his eventual employer um, to make that person more employable. It's just, it's kind of a useless credit. So let's say, for example, I want to go into engineering. Then why do I have to take a history class that isn't going to benefit me for that particular that particular job? Right. So I think there's a lot of ways that you you know you could consolidate a four-year program into a two-year program, and still get out a really good, you know, come out with a really good education, and be very employable. You know, it's it's funny. You're, my team's probably laughing. I say this all the time, and it's it's something we've done some preliminary work on. A no better friend. We believe 100% what you're saying, which is that. K through 12 is one thing, and, and there's a reason to give a broad-based education to children who, frankly, don't, first, a quality broad-based education, right. but you're exposing them to different things that they may or may not have interest in, and they need that well-rounded background. Now the question is, as you go to higher education, where the bills start coming due in a big way, how do you make this more efficient? Because time is money, and the sooner you can get these kids through and on into employment, they can start the step of their career, start becoming productive, and then there are options whereby if you can condense these degrees, people can go back to school throughout their life, which is more and more the norm that you decide, okay, it's time for me to take another semester because I need to pick up the skill set that yeah. I now know after working for three years I want. Exactly. And people can make very intelligent decisions without just simply graduating at, you know, more and more often. It's not 22, it's 24 or 25 right. with, you know, forty to $50,000 of debt and not necessarily knowing if that degree yeah. you just got unlocks the next door exactly which it may not it may not right so no i think yeah it's interesting to hear you say that and it's interesting i mean the engineering program is doing well makes sense because they are more or less what you're talking about they're very targeted Mm -hmm. to here's the skill set you need for electrical here's a skill set you need for mechanical right now on to the next step and by the way we probably have a good relationship with employers in the market right and you know too often in liberal arts and i say this as a liberal arts grad myself um that sequence isn't really there. Right. It's a lot of guesswork. Yeah, and there, are, there, there's a lot of things that are missing right now. I look at the writing skills, mm-hmm. kids coming out now. Uh, kids can't write anymore uh, in terms of putting a point down and backing it up. Right. You know, with um, efficient, efficient arguments. Yes. Because the, the last thing I think anyone wants to get is a book for an email. I just, I just won't. I won't read it. If somebody sends me a book. I'm not going to read it. You know, if you can give me one line, two lines, three lines, right? It's perfect, right? Right. But just you know that common sense. Um, and then, for example, like in sales, yeah, you you don't have to be a 4.0 in sales. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I I prefer common sense. Mm-hmm. Smell the money. Mm-hmm. Be able to listen. And be able to communicate your thoughts efficiently on paper. Right. And have a work ethic. If you do right. that, you'll do well. Right. So it's just... just and ideally relatable, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Right. So. No, that's right. And I think, um, yes, the tendency of uh, those in academia is to overcomplicate this for everybody. And 
look, I always tell people one of the crazy things is that you can actually go to, you can get a full-on physics with a master's degree from Oxford, or excuse me, a physics master's degree from Oxford within four years, all wrapped up, done. Mm -hmm. um, and in the United States, increasingly, that's going to take you, call it five, seven years yeah. maybe, depending if you tack a two-year master's onto it. Right. So clearly, that's a very complicated subject, being taught at a very right. good university with right. a pretty good track record over yeah. <laughs> many, many hundreds yeah. of years. Yeah. Right. And so if it can be done, it can be done, but part of how they do it is just what you're talking about, which is they uh, they core it down to what are the core classes for that degree that you have chosen, mm -hmm. and they make it super efficient, and then they get people through the degree faster, ultimately saving time and money. Yeah, and I think your high schools are starting to see that now, too, because if you want to go into the trades, they're starting to recognize that earlier, so that at 15, 16 years of age, you can start focusing on that versus versus classes that'll take you maybe into liberal arts or whatever. So, so and again, by the time they're in high school, kids, yeah, have more of a, a sense of what they might be interested yeah. in and they can start to gravitate that way. Well, I would certainly like to see more of that because it's critical. And I say that would be a heck of a lot better than just paying people not to work. Exactly. As a, as a general rule. It's not, it's not sustainable. No, it's not. That's, that's the question, right? And you... Well, you've already alluded to one of the ways in which it's not sustainable because it's going to force businesses to make investments on, again, whether it's automation or whatever the case is. They're going to do it, um, and they're going to be kind of fixed into that path. And right. there's going to be a lot of people asking questions after the fact, like, how did this happen? Yeah. And I would point my finger squarely to the left and say, oh, look, sure. you yeah. push everybody down this path, and people didn't have choices. Because right. um, your point, like, we can't get materials to build homes. People right. want to buy homes can't buy cars mm -hmm. suddenly because the material bases are not there. Mm -hmm. um, the whole thing is insane. Yes. So to that point, and we've talked, to, so we talked about some of the regulatory cha challenges as such, not just in terms of regulation, but if you think of like something policymakers, politicians can do that would, in your mind, supercharge not just your industry, but just the economy, what are some of the sensible things that you would like to see done? Well, I, think, I think that's where Trump had it right, you know, deregulate. Mm -hmm. And that's what the left hates that. <laughs> yes, they do. The left hates it. The left always thinks, well, the left thinks that all good comes from government. Anything that's good comes from government. Wasn't it Obama that said you didn't build that? Yeah, he did. You didn't Very adamantly. That. Right. You didn't build that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're dealing with that mentality, these are people that have no idea how capitalism works. If you listen to AOC, which is hard, <laughs> um, because she has the ability to say so little using so many words and you know her whole her whole squad they they hate capitalism and it shows yeah you know so when you you know these are people that are in powerful positions that have done well it's, or you could call them elitists right right by by some way they've got to where they are but they hate capitalism because they, they've never been able to participate in it. But yet they benefit from they, they, they benefit from our labor. Right. We work for them. You know. Hundred percent. We, we work for them, and that's you know, and, and they think and they think we're blessed to have them. <laughs> they, they absolutely do. Yeah. But all that theory and all that nonsense floats on top of the wealth that's been created yeah. by. By actual by, people right, producing, right? Right. And right. what they don't understand is that money needs to move. Right. If money stagnates, 
everything stops. And nobody like, wins. Right. Right. You know, when, when people are spending money that have that they've earned, not that they've been given by you know, by these 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 incentive checks to stay home. Right. When 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 everything's working, the economy works. People work, people spend money, right. inflation stays low, and everything just works like it should. When you disrupt that then eventually you pay a price for that. Absolutely. Like what you're seeing now with inflation. Right. Well, you're, yeah, you're hitting some core things. And to your point, I mean, having been in pol- involved in politics, I work in the private sector, but obviously we're in the policy space and the nonprofit. Right. And you take a step back and you say, well, okay, what, a, what amount of what's happening is a matter of just people not even understanding what they're talking about? And I think talking about most politicians, that's a fair amount of it, right? Like they don't sure. even understand the building blocks of the capitalist system, why it exists, like how wealth and value are created. Um, And then there's another part, which is this gross manipulation, where they do understand some of it, but it's not to their advantage to explain it rationally. It's their advantage to lie and to manipulate. And Mm -hmm. one of the cores that I think you're talking about, which is so important that it's good to share with our audience, is that, you know, government does not create value. It can redistribute resources. Mm -hmm. It can make decisions on, like, spending and defense and all these other things and and sure it can do those things but it's individuals and private entities that create value literally from nothing from an idea added with labor suddenly something that was non-existent yesterday is something today that somebody wants to purchase and that's real creation of value yeah and you know we're still fortunate that this is still the most creative country in the world Mm -hmm. it's not even close covid vaccines yeah Right? right, and how you, quick? In, in, in the left, the left loves to look at socialism, communism. The left loves it. <laughs> but there's never been a successful example. Of no, there hasn't. Never. <laughs> and, no, and there, there, and hasn't. there won't be. Nope. You know, if you look at Venezuela 30 years ago, 35 years ago, it was thriving. Right. It was thriving. Right. It was, it was a beautiful place. But then you, you even look at look at any of the cities that the left runs. Look at look at what Detroit. Mm-hmm. Detroit was at one time a beautiful city. Yes. Um, you look at Chicago now. I used to love going to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I don't go to Chicago anymore. Why? Why should I go to Michigan Avenue and see it all right. rooted out? Right. You know, it, 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 it's just, it's, worth, it's, it's not worth my time. It, it's, yes, it's respect and human dignity, right, that I yeah. think that, I mean, these literally are the things our country's founded on, right. and the idea that we value the life of an individual, we exactly. want to empower the individual. Right. Now, if the individual chooses to make bad decisions and they don't choose to empower themselves, you can't right. force them to, right. and some people will make bad choices, yeah. but the whole idea is partner those capabilities to go out and empower your life with good messages coming from all angles of society saying, you should go out and find what makes you happy and pursue it. Like, exactly. that's a good thing. And it might be something very different for you than it is for me. Right. But if you go do it and put something into it, you can you can live a very successful life here depending on what you want your success ratio to be. And some people will opt to have more time, and that's okay. Yeah. Some people will opt to have more money, and that's okay too. Um, but this idea that you will literally create a culture that would tell people, don't go out and try to make your happiness come right. true sit back, we'll disperse to you enough that you can probably survive on it while we still have a currency that's worth anything right. before it completely devalues. Yeah. It's, it's about as un-American as it gets. It um, and it, I think it's funny because just over the past week I was reading a number of pieces that are coming from the left because 
they're aware of the cr criticisms that are starting to build up in the mm -hmm. system. They're taking too yeah. long, but right. but they're out there trying to proclaim as quickly as possible that no, there's no problem with just giving money away indefinitely. <laughs> but that's there are big problems with that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a huge problem. If you look at if you look at Europe, for example, Italians used to have the lira. Right. They used to have to show up with a, a shopping cart just to buy a shopping cart full of lira to buy bread. Right. You know, so the, you, know, you look at Greece a number of years ago, yep. they had that huge problem with their currency. So it, it, it is a real problem. Right. Well, that's it. And, and like to your point, you've got customers that are making rational decisions to automate based on the fact that labor is not available. Mm -hmm. But at the same time... Um, at some point, people have to be producing and be productive, or the whole thing falls apart. Right. And inflation is a part of that. So is social cohesion. So is just simply the fact that this whole thing is going to fall apart with the mess. With the messages that are coming from the very top, from the White House, from Congress, from all. But you know, and so to that point on Biden, I mean, if you, and I'm sure you paid attention to him over the many years, and, um, and you, you really look at a guy like that who's done so little to produce things in his life of value, right? To get back to this yeah. thing we're talking about, right. creation of value. His whole life has been about trying to pick winners and losers, redistribute things to people that he thinks are worthy and not to those he, he doesn't. And you see that culminating right now in a guy who kind of came across as bland and not much there in his presidential election, uh, but who now is catering to the very women of the left. And I read a good summation of it, which is that Joe's always been a party guy. Where his party is is where he's at. Yeah. His party's socialist now, so he's a socialist, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. He's an opportunist. He'll blow in the wind. Right. And even when he had his faculties, he wasn't a bright guy. <laughs> that's I mean, that, no, one, no, one ever, no one ever said he was the brightest guy in the room. So now, who's running the show? Is it, is it Rice? Is it Kamal? Who knows? It's, it's the people behind, right. yes, the staff and, and whatnot, right. and they have extreme views as to how a society should work and... It's not going well. And so, so yes, whatever sugar rush they think they've handed out to people through checks, um, mm -hmm. the urge we have to people is like, look, we want you to be successful. We, it's not, it's a good message. no one's trying to deprive. People right. want to enable. And right. what we worry about is, for good reason, that what's being done right now is actually destroying the opportunities right. from quite literally automating the way out of jobs to quite get beyond that, um, not giving you the educational background you should have to not pushing you to get out there and do the right things with right. your life and all of it's bad so mm -hmm. what ends up is you have a societal breakdown right if people don't have purpose right a lot of a lot of bad things come of that right so you start incentivizing people to stay home giving them the money and they just sit now you now, now it's generational right so now their offspring are going to want to stay home and sit and just collect the checks because that's what they know and, it, and, and it's just not going to last that right. long um, for all the reasons that we're talking about. On a brighter note, I have a question about doing things the right way. Um, Viking Masek was awarded the 2021 Top Workplace Honor by the Journal Sentinel. Tell me yeah. how that came about and what made it happen. Wow. Well, that's a great question. That's something I'm really proud of. You know, we, When you walk into a business, you can feel... You can feel the energy, either yep. it's positive or it's negative. There's no yep. in between, right? That's true. You can feel it, it either gives you life or it sucks the life right out of you. Right. So after you know doing this for many years, what we realized is that, you know, 
you have to put the right people in the right seat, but they also have to fit your culture. Right. So if you have the right, um, the right values, the right morals, and you're an oppor- or not opportunist, you're an optimistic person, then, you, then you're somebody that can fit in here given if you have the right uh, skill sets. Right. So we've, we've been fortunate and with respect to that and kind of creating a really creative culture with really great people. So if we're an 80-piece 80 80 puzzle, mm-hmm. the puzzle goes together like the box shows. Gotcha. And as a result, um, everything just clicks. Okay. You know, we've, we've got great people, we've got a good energy, and we're, uh, we just keep breaking records each year. So it's, it's, it's something I'm really proud of, and it, it's, uh, it, it means a lot to me that we've got such good people. Gotcha. Is that a, is it an award? In part, voted on by the employees? It or is. How does it's it all, work? It's all done by the employees. Okay. Yeah. They fill out a questionnaire. We don't see it. So it's, uh, it, was, it was just really meaningful. That's great. Well, then you're getting to the point. You said 80 people. I can, as we walked around, you gave us a tour. We can see the expansion taking place. Talk about the growth in, um, in output, in people, and square footage that's happened over the, the okay. last few years. Sure. So with, with the, with the, with the scope of the equipment increasing in terms of what customers are expecting or asking for, mm-hmm. we just need space to lay that all out. It doesn't, it, 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 it takes a lot of floor space. So as you can see, it's crowded out there, it's crowded everywhere. Yep, yep. So with adding that floor space, we're gonna be able to clean that up and, okay. and open that up more. But it's also gonna help us in terms of getting stuff out of here more efficiently and quicker. Okay. And then as far as office space, we're, we're, we're doubling the size of the offices over there so that we've got uh, more privacy for people to work. Okay. Because right now we've had to consolidate offices. We're using, we're using um, conference rooms as office space. So okay. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a little congested right now. But people Good problem to have, but you want yeah. to grow, right? Yeah, and this is, right. this is our third expansion. And we actually just bought some land across the street, and then we bought some more land going, uh, going west. Okay. So I, I anticipate within a year or two we'll probably be adding on again. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And you have a lot, well, you do have a lot of, you've got a large footprint in terms of land out here. So room yeah. to grow and... And, and this town is great to work with. Oostburg is amazing to work with. We couldn't pick a better town to work with. I was that was actually leading to my next question, which is: you look at the region. We're in Oostburg. You're near Sheboygan. Um, what are some of the benefits you see to being up here? What are some of the things you'd love to see happen in the region? Well, yeah, being right off of 43 is perfect for us. It's mm-hmm. great exposure, but also the uh, the, 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 the the city of Oostburg is very business friendly. Okay, easy to work with. Um, they don't. They don't put up arbitrary uh, requirements that we need to make. They're just very. Large they're not looking to cause you to fail. They're not. No. <laughs> yeah, they're. And yeah, they, they appreciate us being here, and we appreciate them for letting us be here. Right, which is great. And mm-hmm. what you said is very simple, but boy, you wish that other places would listen. You mentioned Chicago, Detroit. Certainly, it's true. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes, the um, machine shop to the world, right? And, and because people that, even if uh, you go back to that period of Milwaukee's time and we were to talk to some of those policymakers, many of them called themselves socialists. We probably have a ton to disagree sure. with them, but they at least understood that people had to be producing product in order yeah. to be making their way in the world. And right. boy, you look now today, yeah. and if you can't 
provide a safe environment. If right. you're going to try and tax people out of existence, you're going to make it punitive and try and shut them down so they literally can't work. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to move to the exactly. point that you just made in California. So yeah. Illinois, California. Or Illinois, New right. Yeah. It's about setting in it. You're talking about a thing I try to share with people a lot, which is it's about creating a canvas. Like, it, no, and, and this is get you mentioned uh, uh, President Obama saying you didn't build that. Well, I also get a kick out of politicians talking about how many jobs they created, yeah, right? Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It is funny. Yeah, unless, unless they came from business and owned Well, and that's a different case. But, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But they can create the canvas. Policymakers do have the opportunity to create a canvas on which others can exactly. build. Exactly. Right. You can create the environment where jobs will flourish. You know, Trump right. did that. Right. He did. Reagan did that. They did. And even to some degree, you know, um, Clinton did. Clinton guy kind of understood that and stayed out of the way, and the economy flourished. But Obama, look at Carter, Obama, Biden. You know, They've given in to the worst did. impulses of the yeah. left. No right. idea how, how how the private sector works. Right. No yeah. idea. Right. No, and it's uh, so much the mentality of what you just talked about, Usberg. Like, understand where to stay out of the way. Understand there's a benefit to you growing because that will create more tax revenue right. over time. Right. And also, too, very, very fortuitously, will employ people in the area and right. give them opportunities to then build their life and exactly. feed back to the community. And exactly. It sounds so simple as we sit here, here say it, but <laughs> if you're a power-hungry leftist politician, that's just not what you want. You want control. No, yeah, you want, you want control. You want centralized control. Right. You want all power to reside in Washington. Very little in the states. Right. Exactly. And you and want to control the puppet strings. And it's what they're pushing today, yeah. um, much to the detriment of the people that live in the country. Yeah. So, as you think about, um, as you look out to the f to the future, what are some of the things you hope for for your industry? And this could be everything from technological advance to human capital to regulatory changes or anything. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for us is to always stay ahead of of demand. Being, hiring creative people, right? Knowing that the labor situation is only going to get worse, at least for the for the next four to five years, it's only going to get worse mm -hmm. until you stop incentivizing people. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, if we can continue to bring in that those types of creative minds, and then either acquire or um, develop the technologies that keep us at the forefront. Mm -hmm. So right now we've done a good job of acquiring, but we're also, while doing while acquiring, we're also simultaneously developing new R&D projects that'll replace people for the, to, to, to be utilized on our equipment. Gotcha. So that's, that's what I think. So it, it, actually the government has made it so transparent as to what they're doing that it's easy for us to go, this is where we're gonna go. Right. And given what's happening, yeah, yes, and then yes, the government has made it very transparent, and the kind of the phalanx of people that opinion makers and so on and so forth are, are doubling down on it, making it very clear yeah. by uh, yes, the amount of leftist think pieces that are out there proclaiming that no, in fact, there's not a labor shortage because of the incentives that are being paid to people to not work. Just don't don't believe your lying eyes, and so on. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about the challenges um, and into and, and what you want to do uh, better going forward. What does make you, as you look out to the future, what makes you hopeful 
about two things. One, the future of your, comp- your company. And then two, despite all the, the rough things we're talking about right now, the future of the country. As far as the, the, easy, the easy question is the company, because that's something that me and my partners and the people that we have here have control over. Um, the culture that we've established here, mm-hmm. the the brand, the uh, the breadth of equipment that we offer, mm-hmm. and then our capabilities make me very uh, uh, happy about the future. I like what I see. Right. Uh, as far as the country goes, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, given given the decisions that we're, we're making as a country, and the weakness of the country. If you if you just look, just even taking the currency outside of it, you know, taking taking that out of the equation. Right mm-hmm. now, if you look at the lack of respect that we have now, you know, just since the election, um, whether that's uh, China mm-hmm. messing with Taiwan, um, whether that's Iran. Look at look at the Middle East right now. The yeah, absolutely, East, the Middle East was under control. Israel had relationships with, I believe, three three countries set up under Trump. Now it's a mess. Absolutely. Right? You look at the border. The border was under control. Now it's a mess. So I don't have I don't have as good uh, a great a feeling about the country. So I wouldn't be surprised that w- within the next eight or nine years, you know, maybe by 2030, that it hits the fan on a number of fronts, especially with regard to. Uh, inflation, uh, stock market corrections, things like that, may, major. But again, that's just a feeling. Well, I'll tell you, in, it, as you talk about each of those incidents, and in, in, well, at least a couple of them. So you talk about Iran and its backing of a combination of Hamas and Hezbollah mm-hmm. and attacking on Israel. Right. You know, the thing you want to call out to all these reporters who are so quick to take the side of the aggressor, in this case, right. the Palestinians, and launch the attack is that, um, number one, the people that are most hurt by what's happening are the, the, the most disadvantaged in both those exactly. societies, right? right? And real lives are being lost by this. Right. And the fact is, to your point, and look, I fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, I'll tell you that um, the Trump administration, Trump did have Iran back at his heels. And he that was a good thing because they, when they have room to operate, do operate, and they killed American uh, soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan through placements of IEDs, mm-hmm. and they have killed um, people throughout their region and their sphere of influence in an attempt to terrorize people into submission. Exactly. And it's not just Israel. The reason that those accords were signed in the waning days of the Trump administration was because a number of Arab states realized the threat posed by Iran. Exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. And the craziness was to watch the press blackout on the, the good news of the David Accords yeah. and to see how far they were willing to go to cover up really monu- two things, right? Like monumental yeah. progress and like, right. like historical progress yeah. in terms of civilization. Right. And then on the other side, to pretend that Iran wasn't the animating factor that had people, that, and they weren't, that these countries weren't afraid, which they were, of exactly. Joe yeah. Biden coming into office, right. giving leverage back to Iran and reigniting conflict, and right. here we are. It's crazy. You're right, exactly. You watch it all. You watch it all play out, and then you see, you know what's happening to, to understand what's happening behind the curtain, but then see how it's portrayed in the mass right. media. That's why I think these conversations are so important, right. ranging from business to international relations. Of like, here's what's real. 
Yeah. We can all pretend it's not, but it's real, yeah. and real people are harmed by it today. Right. China too, whether it's the destruction of um, uh, intellectual property and capital right. through you know literally theft at an mm -hmm. industrialized scale, or it's the suppression of human rights. Like mm -hmm. that's real, and yeah. clearly they will take every advantage they yeah. can. Yeah, there's no value for human life in China. Right. Zero. Right. And it's that's one of the things we try to message on why we as conservatives we we believe in the value of uh, the lives of Chinese citizens. We want them to be successful. We want them to do it as free people. Right. And the sooner they get there, the better actually for humanity because we're less likely to be dealing with the people that run their country right, right. now. And that's good for everybody. It is. Exactly. Well, we can ship an episode of this podcast to Joe Biden and see if he'll listen to it. <laughs> if he's awake. If he's awake, we could try this, but I don't think, I don't think it'll happen. <laughs> Um, but I do know this. Many, many tens of thousands of people around Wisconsin are hearing this, and I think that's a good thing. So we're going to continue to share these messages, and that's why we appreciate you you doing this. Rick, we appreciate it. It's great to be in Oostburg, um, and uh, we love seeing the amount of impact you've had. And, and this is real impact. This is giving people a better life and creating a better community. And we, I laud you for the accomplishment and the entire company. Thank you. Thank so. you. It's been a great team effort. We can tell Obama we did build this. <laughs> and you did, and that's true. Maybe we'll send a copy to him. He's got more time on his hands we'll right call now. It, we so. did build this. Yes, exactly right, 100%. Well, we'll be back to Oostburg, and we appreciate you uh, having us, and, and best of luck, Rick. We'll My take pleasure. care. Thank you. All right. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thanks for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.